Welcome to the sixth episode of One Size Colonize, where two girls discuss more than two ideas. My name is Youngsa, and Indu is not here with me right now, but she is here in the episode. Today's episode is something that we recorded for the NPR Student Podcast Contest. We did not win anything, but we still wanted to share the content with you because we put in a lot of research, and this is something that is personal to both of us and a lot of students around the country. This episode is way shorter than everything else that we've put up until now because there was a time constraint and the editing is a little bit shaky because it is my first time editing and also because of the time constraint so we had to cut a lot of stuff but i hope you enjoy and as always you can find us at at once i was colonized on instagram and at once colonized on twitter the most recent sat test was administered yesterday on march 9 2019 at thousands of high schools around the united states In the week that preceded it, at least in our school, students prioritized the SAT over their ongoing education. Oftentimes, juniors ditched school on the Friday before the SAT to cram and sleep early. This week, one of our classmates missed an entire week of school to study. It's not just that one student. We all act like our lives depend on the SAT because it sort of does. The college board profits by swaying the college admissions of anybody trying to go to an American college. But the saddest part is that the SAT is not even a good measurement of intelligence. First of all, the SAT is supposed to measure intelligence. And sure, the test can measure certain cognitive abilities, but intelligence is a multifaceted concept that cannot be captured with merely the components measured in the SAT. Secondly, the SAT is supposed to measure scholastic aptitude and success in life. In fact, the SAT used to stand for scholastic aptitude test. Scholastic aptitude and success in life depend on so many other factors other than the things measured in the SAT, such as grid or creativity. Bob Schaefer, the public education director of the National Center for Fair and Open Testing, says that the SAT prioritizes strong test-taking skills and good guessing over skill sets that would actually bring you success in life. He also said that the concept of measuring aptitude in itself doesn't make any sense because humans can accumulate knowledge that makes them perform better. There's this dude that I feel really sorry for. His name's Les Perelman, and he teaches writing at MIT. Teaching writing at MIT is like teaching English at our school. (laughs) Okay, to be fair, Chomsky is at MIT. (laughs) They have intellectuals. I don't know if they're actually being appreciated. Anyway, (laughs) director Les Perelman does what any other writing director at MIT does and decides to do a statistical analysis of all of the essays So statistics is the future. Right. He's using this futuristic map to analyze SAT essays. And what he found was he could determine the score on the essay section just by looking at the length of the essay. We've all heard our English teachers say this multiple times. Length is not equal to how well you actually wrote the essay. Quality over quantity. Exactly. Perelman was able to accurately predict scores without even looking at the content of the essay. And sometimes he found that the content was factually incorrect. The test trains students to be long, formulaic, and wordy instead of looking for revision, depth, and accuracy. Instead of teaching students to write well, he was teaching students to be academics. (laughs) Just shade all (laughs) academics. Yeah. The National Center for Fair and Open Testing found a correlation between coaching and SAT scores. This is honestly quite obvious, but the college board denied the fact that coaching had anything to do with the SAT score that you get because it's supposed to be an aptitude test. That means you cannot train for the test. But the study found that there was an increase in 60 to 170 points. My 8th grade PSAT score, I took the actual NMSQT and that is a pretty good score. And I did some stuff for a year. I didn't like specifically train for it in any way. Mm -hmm. I just did reading 
stuff right. from SAT passages. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't even training for it, and my score went up by 110 points. What we can conclude from this is that the SAT is not a yardstick for success, it's a yardstick for how well you're training for the SAT. The ramifications of this are really widespread, and as you can guess, the Brookings Institute found a widening racial gap between white and Asian students and students of other races that cannot be explained by class differences. So it isn't even just due to the amount of money that a person makes that their SAT score is higher, even though that's also a study that's been proven, like the richer you are, the better your SAT score is because you can access coaching as the last study established. We don't know why there's a widening racial gap between white and Asian students and other minorities like black and Hispanic Latinx people. Why is this happening? I don't know, but that seems pretty suspicious given that Carl Brigham, the guy who made the test, was a racist. And we know that coaching for SAT is a ton of money. A Kaplan instructor-led course starts around $900 and a one-on-one -on -one course surpasses $2,000. And Kaplan is obviously one of the biggest makers of SAT prep courses. You can take the SAT multiple times if you're not happy with your first score, but every time you take the SAT, you have to pay a $65 fee. There's obviously financial barriers to taking the SAT and to how well you do on the SAT. For me specifically, I took a three-day SAT prep course and it was $300. So that's $100 a day for each day of prep. Yikes. I mostly did a lot of Khan Academy, like the actual college board right. release stuff. I just want to put it on the record that I didn't like dedicate my life to the SAT, mm -hmm. but also I just like hated SAT prep so much because it's repetitive, it's time consuming, and it's just so irritating because there's no actual learning going on. The yeah. way to do well on the SAT is rote practice, just like keep doing the same types of problems and it's easier for you to do it on the test. But on test day, a lot of the things is like, how hard was the test that month? That determines how big your curve is. Right. I got one wrong and got a 1580. Mm -hmm. And my friend took it the next month and she got a 1590. Right. Which for me wasn't an existing score because one wrong was 1580. Right. Yeah. yeah. So there's not a standard metric either, which is super sad for just like individuals like us when we're comparing mm -hmm. scores. The reason that I hate SATs also goes for APs, mm -hmm. which is also a service that College Board provides. And AP stands for Advanced Placement. Right, mm -hmm. and you can get like college credits for it if your college takes it. I do think that there are some merits to the AP. We get to take courses that otherwise wouldn't be offered, like comparative government. We right. both love that class. Yeah. And there's a nationwide, slightly better assessment as to your like studying and stuff. Sure. Yeah. But they could also definitely use work. One problem that I hate, 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 hate <laughs> is the mindless training that it does. This happens a lot in the AP math. I have taken Calc AB and I'm in stats. You've taken both and Calc BC and now you're doing like other cool math stuff like a nerd. So, okay, I hate this so much. AP math grade on exact wording. So even if you have something that's mathematically correct, if you don't word it the way that they want it, you don't get credit for it and that can drop your AP score by an entire number because it's one, two, three, four, five. So it can just drop it because you got all the points off in the free response for not wording it the way they wanted to, even though you know the math. I'm doing AP statistics right now and I find that course especially problematic 
because the rubrics are not consistent at all. Right. Sometimes you get credit for something, sometimes you don't, sometimes they'll like give you half. I just hate it so much because I don't know what they want from me. I know this material, I can do this math, but I have to spend so much time memorizing these rubrics. in ways that don't make yeah. sense to me. Another problem that the APs have is that they manipulate what we learn. Recently, the College Board was criticized by none other than the amazing Tom Ritchie. <laughs> He's the reason we got a five on Euro. I actually didn't watch his video. I, me neither. Yeah. But, like, our classmates. <laughs> yeah, I, I use Princeton Review. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. College Board was criticized for trying to cut millennia's worth of history from his world history curriculum. World history, the first half of the curriculum is when you learn about non-european cultures and then after that everything is in context of colonization obviously this is how normal history is taught in schools that's a whole different problem and so when you're teaching about specific civilizations you're going to spend maybe like two days on the entire history of the golden age in india for example the things they're talking about are going to be sati caste system how oppressive india was and how that sucks me, as an Indian person living in the United States of America, taught this history of the place that I should know a lot more about, but I don't because this is the version of events that is taught to me. So all I know is that women burn themselves to death and that the religion that I believe in was oppressive to lower caste members. And obviously the, those things are true, but I'd like to know more about the great things that my civilization did. There's lots of really dark things that are ignored by the curriculum in European history, but we don't really talk about those things. And it shows me that there's a bias in the college board's teaching of the curriculum and that maybe they care about giving a curriculum that would be easiest to teach. I've actually never taken US history before this year. I know that the difference between normal history and AP history is that AP tends to emphasize nuance a lot more than like seventh grade US history, for example. Sure. So I was excited to learn about modern imperialism, America yeah. messing with <laughs> South America. We really didn't learn any of it. It was mentioned briefly in the books, but we don't spend a lot of time on it. It's not our teacher's fault that the AP curriculum emphasizes broad generalization as a theme. It emphasizes themes so that we're able to think historically and use historians' point of view to analyze broad general trends. But that also means that we don't learn about the specifics of, I don't know, modern imperialism, which is a college class. If AP classes are supposed to prepare you for college, I can tell you right now they're not doing that. Also, again, with the mindless training part, AP history essays could answer the prompt perfectly and be stellar, but still not get the points because it's like missing connection to a different theme in the AP curriculum or whatever. And in AP English, oh my god, it is literally impossible to write something with substantial value within that time. It's a language class is supposed to teach us how to write, and they're teaching us how to formulaically wing our essays. The curriculums are molded into what AP wants, and in the end, College Board is controlling what we learn in a lot of ways. Let's talk about how the College Board is a capitalist superstructure. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. I mean, maybe. Okay. <laughs> The College Board is designated as a nonprofit, but the truth is they're not a nonprofit. According to the Americans for Testing Reform, the College Board had excessive annual profits not warranted by its nonprofit status, and I'm pretty sure they're taking legal action right now. The nonprofit index compiled by ProPublica found that in 2016 alone, the College Board made a total revenue of over $900 million. I wish my teachers were making that much. The past CEO, Gaston Caperton, 
had a salary of $1.3 million in 2009, whereas the average CEO of a nonprofit was receiving salaries of $120,000 a year. The college board's selling of test preparation materials, direct lobbying of legislators, and government officials is not the actions that a true nonprofit would be taking. They also refuse to acknowledge test taker rights, and all of these things together have delegitimized its status as a nonprofit. The College Board is a monopoly. What else can I take other than the SAT to get into college? The ACT. And that also is not a good substitute. SAT subject tests and AP tests, which have no substitute, are a prerequisite for us to get into a good school, and both of those things are controlled by the College Board. That means they have a monopoly on my college admission. We're high school juniors who are preparing for college admissions. Our lives are so significantly impacted by the College Board and their decisions. In the past century, the College Board has failed to live up to what they promised the public, inspiring and connecting students to college and opportunities.